This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So, Bree, I remember this one time I was in a bike race around Tucson, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. We were riding down 4th Avenue, and there's railroad tracks, like street track tracks, and my bike's tire like went and wedged in to the railroad tracks, no. and I totally fell down and just like skinned my hands, everything. Ugh. I had nothing with me, nothing at all. And it's that times where you want a first aid product and you have nothing. And <laughs> active skin repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid. When applied to the skin, the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. I've used it on my son's mosquito bites, and I wish I would have had it the time I totally scraped up my hands. Oh, I hear you. Like whenever I go paddleboarding, kayaking, I'm always trying to find something that is like an all-in-one that I can take with me. And active skin repair could be used like that. It can be used to treat cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for all skin types, all parts of the body, like eczema and acne-prone skin, all of that. With over 500,000 happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order. Use code NOGUILT. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, and I'm joined here with my fantabulous co-host, Brie Tucker. Well, hello, hello, everybody. How are you doing? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, guys, we just finished this interview with Dr. Michelle Borba. Like, we finished like 10 minutes ago, and I think we're on such a high. Oh, my goodness. We're on such a high. Oh, everything. I just kept going, yes, yes. I had to sit here. Like, if, if people could see the video from that interview, I'm yeah. like bouncing in my chair like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm trying not to like yell out yes after every word she is just she's so animated and energetic and passionate about what she is talking about that she was just so fun to talk to you and she had a lot of really great key takeaways of how we can teach our kids to be more empathetic, starting with their self-regulation. Yes. And the other thing too, is just everything that she was saying makes such good sense. You can't begin to focus on, so empathy, let's just look at it that way. Empathy, you're looking at others and being able to understand their perspective, their emotions, where they're coming from, right? Yes. But you can't do that if you are on high alert, overly agitated, overly stressed, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you're overly agitated, overly stressed, all your body can do is trying to figure out how to get out of that state. So of course you can't work on empathy. If you don't have good self-regulation, of course, it was like mind-blowing. And it's something that we don't really talk about a lot as parents about how those two things connect. Right. So today, you are going to hear from Dr. Michelle Borba. She is an educational psychologist, and she's the author of 24 books, including the book that we're talking about today, Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World. She's also a Today Show parenting contributor, and she's the mom of three grown boys. 
We are brought to you today by the No Guilt Mom course, Emotions 911. And oh my gosh, this course fits so well with today's episode. Because if you know that your child needs help in identifying emotions and making sure that they understand how they feel and how to communicate that to others, Emotions 911 can help you out. It is the course for kids. Like moms, kids take these video courses, not you. And I teach them directly how to name their emotions and then how to communicate that to other people. Right. And very importantly, what are the actions that can come along with those emotions? What's okay? What's not okay in terms of actions and reactions to emotions? Yes. So Emotions 911, you can find out more about it in our show notes. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. You've done so, so much, but like in a 30, 60 second nutshell, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've done. Oh, well, I guess number one, I'm a mom. I'm a mom of three boys. Don't know how you get a girl, but that's a whole different topic. Number two is I, I am passionate about, started in special education and along the way worked with violent youth offenders. And this amazing thing happened. This trajectory happened when I I got hired to work on army bases across the world, 18 army bases, did some side trips, and I began to see that empathy was playing a huge difference on reducing stress, worked a lot with Navy SEALs who told me some phenomenal tips, and I went, oh my gosh, this is too profound, and that's how it all came to be. I, In the interim, I wrote a number of books. I've spent about, oh, 150 segments on today's show, which is my most fun thing, of trying to crunch simple, evidence-based, really easy tips that make a difference on parenting. That's it. Yes, that is awesome. Oh, I love that. And in your book, Unselfie, which I mean, we were talking about, I read it in two days. It was so good. So much like great information. But one of the, you have nine essential habits that parents can build empathy in their kids with. And one of the habits was about how self-regulation and empathy have like a huge tie-in. And it's something that I had never considered before. How is that tied together? How do self-regulated kids become more empathetic? Well, it's an absolute trajectory that you need. So let's look at just a minute. Empathy is feeling with another person. And if you want to feel with another person, you have to be able to be calm enough be able to regulate, to be able to turn and go, oh, she looks upset, or he's frustrated, or daddy sounds ticked off, or mommy looks happy, whatever in life. First thing is, empathy starts to dip, and empathy is our fuel that helps our kids reduce mental health problems, be more resilient. It helps us stop the burnout. 
empathy starts to dip when stress starts to build. We have to dial our empathy down when we start to get stressed because that's just natural. You got to take care of yourself. And if it keeps going and keeps going, empathy keeps going down until burnout is the outcome. So we're dealing with this trajectory right now of three things that are this seismic shift, like this perfect storm that are taking empathy down and boosting stress up. Pandemic. Empathy needs face-to-face connection. Da-da, here we go. We're all with masks. We're trying to look at what, you know, how do you do that? How do you read each other? Number two, we started to see the biggest dip in American kids' empathy, and it's been tracked. We're looking at a 40% dip in 30 years, started around the year 2000. And you go, what the heck happened in the year 2000? Our kids became very plugged in. Well, what's happening now? They're extremely plugged in. So we got two things. Number three is best way to teach empathy is actually just to model it. So if we're stressed, and let's admit we are, every parent says, I am so stressed. The latest CDC warnings told us that depression was huge amongst parents. It just means we're at this perfect storm that empathy is going down and what we need to do to take it up exactly what you just asked for. Self-regulation. Habit number five. Self-regulation. Yeah. Let's let's dig into a little bit more about this plugged in nature of kids and how it reduces empathy. I ran a Girl Scout troop and there was one Girl Scout meeting. (laughs) There was one Girl Scout meeting where I came into the room and I had so many girls like on their phones and I'm like, this isn't going to work because like even at malls today and at restaurants, we see kids and they're on their phones talking with each other and texting with each other. And they're not doing this face-to-face communication. What as parents can we do to, to like help them stop that? Well, number one is put your own phones down because teens say 66 of parents are the ones too plugged in, not them. It's my mom. She's always on the phone and I wish she'd look at me. So first, we are the internet and that's what's going on, generation. And our kids, we now know, middle school kids are more comfortable texting than talking. So they, they are down. Okay, they admit it. So now, how does that have to do with what empathy is all about and what you just matter, the whole thing? First of all, you can't empathize unless you can turn and recognize the habit number one, emotional literacy. So we kids have got to be able to be a little more proficient in reading Facial expressions, you don't learn that in emoji. You do not. You have to look at the person. Uh, Voice tone, and they're more comfortable texting, not listening, or even doing a phone. And the third one is body language. So if they're always looking down, not looking up, the gateway to empathy is already reduced. So step one is all we need to do is realize our kids are digital natives. Look, the phones are going to stay forever, but we do need to be aware that we need to be a little craftier and make sure we balance all of this and take time for how was your day and look straight at the kid. In fact, if you had one rule in your house, starting at age one, it would help all of this. Always look at the color of the talker's eyes. That sounds so simple, but if you are looking up, and you're looking at the eyes, the first thing is you have to look at the person's face. The second thing is you start to be more aware of empathy and the other person that they're existing. That's a perfect one. When you look at really good listeners, they're looking at you. They want to find out how you're doing. But the other buy-in that's wonderful, you want a bold kid. You want a kid that's not picked on. You want a kid who's less likely to be bullied. 
We've done thousands of hours of looking out on just on playgrounds, and we discovered the number one commonality of the kid who's most likely to be bullied, they look vulnerable. They look down. Their whole body language is down. So teach them, always look at the color of the toddler's eyes. You're actually having the kid hold their head up. They look more comfortable. So it's just simple little things. It is. Yeah, that's really interesting because coming from the early childhood background, that's what the first thing that we teach all of our teachers working with kids that are under five and parents, right? I'm sure they've heard that, like get down to your child's eye level when Mm -hmm. you're talking to them. That is so important. And it's just, yeah. And even from like a personal experience, like I was a very shy middle schooler and I got bullied. And one of the things that I had the hardest thing doing was looking in people's eyes. Like I would look down at people and it wasn't until high school where uh, like one of the guys was like, I was looking down and he like crouched down and looked up at me. And And then I'm like, like, Oh "Oh, wait, what am I doing here? (laughs) But it's so interesting that you say that. Well, interesting that it was a guy (laughs) that taught you that. But the fascinating thing is, look at that, what you just said, preschool. We wait until middle school to try teaching these skills to our kids. Yeah. And yes, if you really true. start these at a very early level, what will happen is your child will be more likely to be comfortable, be confident. There's another buy-in. Children who are more empathetic are actually more popular. They're less likely to get into frictions. They're more likely to be employed, says Harvard Business Review. It's the top employability factor. We're looking at empathy as soft and fluffy, when in reality, it's transformational and it's made up of habits that just need to be exercised. You don't just teach your kid once, always look at the color of the talker's eyes, sweetheart. No, you start and you keep doing it and you model it yourself. You got a shy child? You just said you were. As a teacher, a lot of my kids go, I can't do that, Mrs. Borba. Okay, then don't look at the color of the chocolate size. Just look right here at the bridge of the kid's nose. You'll never know the difference. Okay, I can do that. Some kids on the spectrum, they have a very tough time. They look here or at the shoulder and not up. So you plant a, a dot behind them, look up. And it simple little things that you can do. Just find what works for your child. And once you tell them, keep modeling it. Keep reinforcing it until your kid can do it without you. And that's what good parenting is. Right? Yes. I think that's a great tip. Teach your kids to look at someone else's eyes or at least at their eye level. Yeah. One thing that you said in there about empathy being this supposed soft skill when really it isn't, when like parents today, we're so focused on making sure the grades are up and they're on the best sports teams. But really what you said in Unselfie is that's not really what makes the difference for long-term success and happiness. It doesn't. The most fascinating thing is once I realized, now I started empathy because I wanted the child to be uh, less likely to be bullied. I began to see that kids who become violent offenders are losing empathy. It's a slow process. It's not overnight. But I also saw that children were likely to be depressed, mental health needs. They didn't have that empathy piece. So if this is so important, let's boost it. Then came looking at, I was working in Abu Dhabi. Fascinating. They did a global economic summit and they discovered the top employability factor throughout the Middle East and around the world. This was teachers from, oh, you would have loved it. They had teachers there from over a thousand teachers from like over 300 areas all around the world. They all said the biggest concern they had is kids are looking down. They weren't able to read each other as well. Back to you with your Girl Scout troop and everybody tuning in. I did exactly the same thing when I was writing on Selfie. 
I interviewed dozens of kids, teens, and they all told me that one group that were so, we are the most stressed out generation, you know, they said. I said, well, what do you think is causing it? And a group of girls all sitting there with the phones looking down, one of them, 15, says, oh, maybe this is it. We're looking down. And we're also into taking selfies. Then she's the one who said, you know, if we flip the phone around and maybe started taking pictures of others instead of ourselves, maybe we could be like unselfies. It would make us a lot happier. I said, oh, may I borrow that term? And that's how the title of the book came to be. You're like, girl, you got it. You got it. <laughs> girl, you, got, you it. got it. That's it. From the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly. I got to say, love the name Max. That's my, my puppy dog's <laughs> name. Uh, who have just recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. It actually makes learning pretty cool. Yeah. Now, I listened to this with my son, and it was so fun to listen to. I loved how modern it was with a cool aunt that they really dug, and like they dealt with bullies. Uh, my son also enjoyed all the math involved. Like He thought it was really cool. Well, and I have to say, I love anything that brings learning and fun together for kids. I really, really wish that something like this was around for my teens when they were younger. We would have absolutely devoured this on our car trips. It would have been amazing. It's perfect for kids ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Hey, all it is Joanne and Brie here, and we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. So how should we then go about making sure that our kids have these empathy skills? Oh, number one is put it on your parenting agenda. It's really <laughs> simple. Yeah. Make it a priority, right? Mm -hmm. Once you realize it matters, then it'll trickle down and you'll find dozens of simple little ways to weave it in. Number two is you've always got to, no matter what you want to change, I don't care if it's your discipline or your corporate behavior, you got to understand the why. Why does it matter? 
So maybe you want to read on selfie, or maybe you want to do a Google alert of top research that's coming in on empathy, or maybe you want to start some little book clubs with some other moms, or maybe you just want to have some conversations about it. The more you buy into how it's going to matter to your child, the more you'll tune it up. And then if you were going to start with two of the simplest things, number one is model it yourself. Ask yourself every night before I go to bed, if my kid only my behavior to watch, what would he, he have caught is kind of scary these days. Children catch our behavior. And the next thing is start deliberately and intentionally simply talking emotions as they come up. You could watch the movie Inside Out. You could read fabulous books. When your little one is when Sarah gets, Sally gets mad, really, really mad, make your face look like Sally. Look through picture books and picture albums with your kids. And Oh, look at your face there. How were you feeling there? How were you feeling there? Why? Because at age two, we already talk feelings to our daughters more than we do to our sons. So we're looking at age five, girls having a better emotional vocabulary than our boys. That's doing a huge injustice to our sons. Just keep talking naturally. And this is a perfect time. If there's a silver lining during the pandemic, they're with you. You have more time. So just start talking. How are you feeling? Because one more point, you can't self-regulate unless you can identify how you're feeling or another person's feeling. That's step one. Oh my you gotta gosh. name it to tame it. <laughs> yeah, if, if the audience exactly. could see us right now, like, we're like every word you're saying, I'm like, hallelujah. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> we were talking before we kind of hit record on this interview about how when kids notice that they're really stressed out and overwhelmed, calm down corners. Uh, and you said, calm you, down. Yeah. Yeah, you said that every home should have one. And I was going to say, like, we have something in our closet my son built called a calm cave. So he goes into his calm cave sometimes <laughs> when he remembers, when he can. Well, that's wonderful. Now, there's one step before it. I love a calm cave. I've also seen forts. Parents are putting sheets over the top of dining room tables, putting pillows under it. You know, grab the dog, grab the flashlight, grab the books, and everybody goes under and just veges under the dining room table. That's a calm down space. But there's one caveat to it. You got to be able to identify your signs mm -hmm. before it. Because our kids need a lot more time ins than they do time out. So yes. maybe other than always look at the color of the talker's eyes and talking feelings, the next little thing you can do that's so simple is over the next two, three, four, I don't care how long it takes, five weeks, everybody start identifying each stress sign, each other's. Because kids are so much better than identifying ours than theirs. You know, right? Oh, that's Mom, a good idea. You do that you do that weird thing with your eyes every time you start to what? get mad. My kids are always tell me Are you that. in my house? Are you in my house <laughs> yeah. with my daughter? Like she yeah. constantly will say things like, mom, you're stressed. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. I, you've got that tone. You've done that with your lips. And I'm like, okay, this oh. has nothing to do with that. That's my only thing with us is that she yeah. always thinks it has to do with her. But you're right. She 100%, she picks it out on me all the time before I even realize sometimes that I'm stressed. That's a gold mine. If we flip it, and we say, wow, thank you for telling me. Now let's figure out what yours are. And yes. because there's That's a, a really one. cool thing with little kids, special ed, what I used to do is write the word anger on a chart paper. And I say, everybody's got signs. You don't immediately get angry. It's slowly you build up. 
So we're going to look at what the heck our anger signs look like or our stress signs because some kids hold them in. And it could mm -hmm. be that your feet start to move. Look at your feet. They're starting to go like that. Or look at your hands. They're starting to make and do a fist. Or, oh, my gosh, you're rocking back and forth and twirling your hair. Oh, one little guy go, I can feel it. I can feel it. What can you feel? My cheeks are starting to get flushed. Or I can feel the blood rush in. Those are wonderful stress signs. You don't have them all. It's so interesting that you talk about stress signs because I don't think as adults, many of us know our own stress signs. We end up not being able to self-regulate ourselves, which then leads to yes. the blow-ups and like the like temper. I and, my daughter can sometimes yeah. identify it before I even realize that I'm that. For all the parents out there who are getting really frustrated um, and they want to stop yelling at their kids, they're obviously getting pushed over and not identifying their own stress signs. So what like advice would you give them to start self-regulating themselves? Okay. Number one is you got to realize that over the next couple of weeks, you have your own unique stress signs. Everybody is edgy right now. We're over mm -hmm. the top and we don't have that reserve because we're gone with it. So that means we're going to get a little more yelly, a little more edgy, a little more in people's face. And that's going to ruin our whole relationships with our kids. Step one, you once again, you prioritize it. You start to first maybe go to chapter five in, on, on selfie or just do a quick little Google search of what are common stress signs so you can be aware of them. It could be, for instance, that rapid rush, you start to feel it coming up. You start to feel your breathing go a little quicker. It could be a flush where you can't focus quite as well, or you notice that you'd noticed, your daughter noticed it, your tone in your voice goes a little more. Your face starts to get a little more stressed. Or many times I see kids go like this. Our biggest mistake with our kids is we wait until the exorcism to tell the kid to calm down. <laughs> it's a slow it's true. Build up. Like, I love that. Calm down, calm down. I see that all the time in Walmart around Christmas time. The kids having a meltdown that he didn't get the didn't get the toy, and the parents yelling, "Calm down!" I want to say it's a little late, but you have this <laughs> this wonderful ability to know what those stress signs are. Our big thing, also, we've got to do is dignify it. So it's not disciplining the kid, but being able to say, let's just everybody help each other. Because if we can, it's going to be a gold mine. Let's go to the Navy SEALs for a minute. And why this is going to help you. These are the most elite forces. I want to know what the, the Navy world. SEALs do. I want to okay. know. Yeah. I yeah. was on these army bases and the commanders, because I was working with the counselors on helping the kids. And they said, you got to go talk to the Navy SEALs. I said, okay, what the heck are you guys doing differently? They said, we're being trained differently. So we stay calmer and we have to stay calm to be cognitive in the most difficult scenarios you can imagine. And they said, the first thing we do is identify our own unique stress signs. We figure out each other's, we point them out. And the moment we start to feel that stress sign, because it's also the moment of when it happens, we don't get stressed all the time, but a really cool thing you can also do is take a little calendar and pattern out when's your edginess when is it the most severe i will tell you it's five o'clock that's my witching hour it's because i got to start dinner and i said get everybody get out of the house but for some kids it may be 10 o'clock when the zoom comes in maybe it's eight o'clock when the alarm clock goes off pattern and just figure out your kids where they're angriest or edgy and you and what you'll then be able to do is immediately say i gotta calm down because that's the next thing the navy seals do 
They take a couple of weeks identifying their signs. They point them out to each other. Then the moment they start to feel it, they come up with a phrase to tell themselves, calm down. I looked at them and they said, I know that sounds soft and sloppy, but it's really critical. It could be, I got this, or I got to stay cool, or I can get through it. In fact, another thing you can do is after you identify your stress signs to your kids, start verbalizing a calm down mantra in your own house. We got this. I can cool down. Or I got to stay cool. Not all of them, just one. And then after they know it, they can go to the calm down corner, not a Navy SEAL, but us, go to the, go to the calm down corner and start figuring out what do you want to put in it to keep yourself calm. You know, what I'm loving is hearing you talk about all these. And again, with my background in early childhood, these are all things that I remember doing with my kids mm -hmm. when they were under five, maybe all the way up to like six or seven. And then like you just mentioned, I think I just kind of let it go. I was like, okay, I did my piece. Mm -hmm. They learned it. And then now flash forward, I have a 12 and a 13 year old and they're not really utilizing those things. And you know why? I didn't keep doing it. We didn't keep sharing it. We didn't keep practicing mm -hmm. it. That is, I think, if we were to look at what is the number one parenting mistake, it's not repeating what works enough. Because in the end, you want, particularly for your age kids, you want your 12 and 13-year-old, for heaven's sakes, to learn a coping skill. Because you've only got a little bit, sorry, mom, a little bit of a shelf life, for pretty soon they're going to be gone. And this is the moment to figure out what works for the kid. Now, here's part number three along the way what works for the kid and what do you put in the calm down corner? Not just pillows, but start brainstorming with kids. What helps you calm down or ask them, what do you think helps me calm down? In just a little ideas, teens say music, not all kids, but some kids. So you make sure that they load on their, I don't care what it is on their phone or their iPad, soothing music. I asked one girl, she was 15. And I said, what kind of music do you like? She said, this is the best compliment I ever got. She goes, music from your era, because you guys have less beats than ours. And so it's a lot more calming. I went, oh, hallelujah, I got something. She said, yeah, but I put down three different kinds of things on my music. One one, I went really, really soothing stuff that helps me. It took me a long time to figure out what soothing music is, but I go to that. Sometimes a little more upbeat music when I just got to keep going. And when I do something that really works and I say, oh my gosh, I couldn't believe I got through it. I always go to one song and I said, okay, what's your one song? She says, Elton John, I'm still standing. I crank it up full volume and I'm going, how cool is that? So music is one thing. I, don't you want love that? But that's cool. She's figured out what works for her, and that's her go-to. For some kids, when I was looking at resilient theory, some kids, it's books. So maybe it's a stack of books. For some little kids, it's bubble blowers. Blow the bubble. That's a meanie. How slow can you blow the bubble? So, 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 no, not too fast. Because you want the kid to do slow, deep breathing to blow the bubbles away. Or glitter jars. It makes no difference, but start stocking it up. Then watch what your kid goes to. Because they'll go to the same thing every single time, and that's the gold mine. That's awesome. It's funny because when I first met Bree six years ago, oh my gosh, the first thing she gave me was a glitter jar for my kids. 
I was like, oh, memories. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's so cool because I think the, the other thing is the first time you put it there, I learned this from a couple of teens. I'm telling you, if you want to know something, ask a teen. I said, what works for you? He said, you got to give us a repertoire of stuff. Mindfulness works for some of us. Meditation works for others. A ball works for me. So stock the stuff with what works and then let the kid keep practicing the same thing. He said, until it's, I love the term, sustained. We got to sustain this stuff, you know. That is, yeah. that, that is the big word there, I think. Sustained. Keeping it going, keeping it there. You've like given me so much to think about right now because in our house, my son, he's the one who gets really angry very easily and we've worked with a variety Oh, he is fire kitty because he when he's so fire when he's angry, he's like he's like a kitty. There's a meme. There's like a kitty on fire. But when he is done with his emotions, he will come back with like the biggest eyes, and he'll be like, "I'm so sorry." And he'll he'll be able to tell you exactly why he was upset and what emotions he had and what he'll do better next time. But what I've been working with him with is not getting him to the point of fire kitty. And he tells me a lot that I'm like, "Okay, let's just breathe." And he says, breathing doesn't work for me. And so now I'm thinking, well, maybe it doesn't work for him. And I need to start putting those extra things like music and like tactile stuff. Wow, he's going to get some interesting things to try out in his, his yeah. homie. Now, you know? just a second. I want to take put pause a minute here. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes I'll wear my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Okay. And take a moment to a Brie. I want you to turn and pat her on the back. Because Thank Joanna, you. you're doing something. Oh my God. How many parents forget to how first of all, he feels safe enough to tell you what level he's at. Second yeah. of all, he's got this this wonderful term 
fire kitty. I'm getting to fire kitty. Because what we can also do is come up with terms with kids. It doesn't make any difference what your terms are. Are you feeling like a cloud? Would just like, just, oh, I could go to sleep. I'm so peaceful. Are you feeling kind of like a volcano ready to erupt? Or what's the term in between? Some kids, they're too embarrassed to say the term out loud. So you come up with a hand signal. And it's nothing more than I'm a zero or I'm a five or I'm a three or whatever it is. It's so wonderful if kids can come up with telling you what level they're getting to before they get to fire kitty. And then the other thing is when they start to get into fire kitty, before you say go to the calm down corner, one more thing you can do in your home that's so simple is have a calm down signal. And it's quiet because some kids are verbal and they'll start getting into a debate with you. But it's like an umpire signal that is nothing more than you just put it straight out. You keep your mouth shut. Everybody else keeps your mouth shut. And it means I need space or the kid needs space. And that means, so thank heavens you're telling me, it means I need to take a time out by myself and I need to go to the calm down corner. That's like your, oh my gosh, moment. Go to a spa and just check yourself in that you did something wonderful. Because that's where you're aiming for. I love that because one of the things my son tells me is that he thinks he tells specifically his sister that he's upset in the moment, but she doesn't get the signal. And so then he like goes into fire kitty mode, but having a strong signal, I think will really help him. We're going to try that. Yeah, it's certain. The other thing it it helps because here's the point of why you need the signal. When you're almost on edge and that stress is starting to build and go to anger, what happens is your tone becomes yelling and there goes the havoc in the house and there goes the whole tension blows away. So what you want to do is kind of cut the tension and that's what you could do. With the kid, when you're describing all of this, remember the word anger, you write it down and you put a big D in front of anger and say, remember, anger is one letter short from the word danger. What you want to do is stop the anger so it gets to that point because that's when you're going to get in trouble. That's when mommy and daddy are going to get upset. That's when you can hurt someone's feelings. That's when you can get so stressed. That's so simple. So just find not all of these ideas, but just one idea. Like the Navy SEALs, it was first they had got through their signs. Second, they came with, I got to calm down. Third thing they said that was the most critical thing they learned And it may not work for your son, but it worked for them with slow, deep breathing. But they said the problem with the breathing is most of us are doing it wrong. I said, okay, tell me what is right. They said, you start with a slow, deep breath from your tongue, way down deep in your stomach. You close your eyes. If you can turn and look at something else, you keep saying to yourself, I got this. I got this. Because remember, that's right before it. Then it's a slow breath like you're riding up an escalator. Then you hold it. They said, now here comes the critical part. Now you slowly exhale. It's going to take you forever to do this right. You got to practice it over and over again. You got to keep focusing on the breath, but your exhale must be twice as long as your inhale. If you want the fastest relaxation process to your brain, it's got to be a one-two breath. Now that doesn't cost a dime and that's just powerful. When I read that in Unselfie, I tried it immediately. And you're right. It is extremely hard at first to get your exhale yeah. twice as long as your inhale. It's like yeah. you're fighting your natural urge. To let the air out. Yeah. It is because, well, because you're stressed. 
And so what'll happen is you can't calm down. It's going against what you what you're supposed to do. Madison, Wisconsin put Navy SEALs and Tibet monks and in MRIs and discovered that the part of the brain where compassion is, it's right behind your ear, by the way, is actually twice as big than the rest of ours because they've been exercising over and over again that deep breathing and compassion. But here's a tip. When I was writing on Selfie, I went to schools all over the world to find simple little ways that teachers are doing this right. Jennifer Bell, Redondo Beach, she's got this cloned, I mean, she gets the gold star. Six-year-olds. I walked in and the first thing she does is introduce me. And then she's been working on this stuff all year long. And it's five minutes a day all year long. The first thing she did, though, was teach kids why it's important to calm down. Every kid could point to the part of their brain that starts to get angry and what you got to do to keep it calm down. And then she turns it. Every kid could tell me, tell Dr. Borba your stress signs. Every kid could tell me, I do this. I do this. All my hands go like this. So what do you do when you get stressed, kids? Every child turns and looks at me and says, you just breathe, you just breathe. And then she says, now go show Dr. Borba you just breathe. They run to the floor. Now here's part two. Each one of them grabs a beanbag. She's got this basket of beanbags of froggies and turtles and, you know, bunnies. Each one grabs one. They lay down flat on the floor, put it deep on their tummy like a froggy. And then what they do is that they do one, two breaths, but they, what the power of the beanbag is she told them froggy gets really scared if you breathe too fast so make sure you go slow ride him up ride him up ride him up oh slow 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 take him down real you're too fast too fast oh go slow and they were apologizing to froggy and turtle sorry i didn't mean to be so fast but what happened at the end of three minutes half the class was asleep oh it was gosh. so I meant because they've been practicing it every day. She figured out how to get them to slow it down and do it right. And she says, it's amazing. They're focusing better. They're not in fights. They're doing it. The parents are writing letters because the kids were going home and teaching mom and dad how to do froggy and turtle breathing. That is oh amazing. Goodness. What grade was that? My gosh, I love that. First grade, six-year-olds. All of these are in on selfie on chapter five, but my favorite one, when we go, okay, that only works for six-year-olds. They did it in Oakland at visit. I don't know if you remember that story, but it was a group of kids who were so, so stressed, high zone violence. By the time they got to school, they couldn't think. So one of the counselors bought into realizing they needed another strategy. What she did is she came in every day and taught them how to do slow, deep breathing, then she did brilliance. She videoed herself teaching the kids and left the flash drive with the teacher. So it was the same lesson over and over again. The flash drive could go home so the parents could do the same thing and, and do it. But then what they did is they did every single day. They called it quiet time. The first five minutes of every day was quiet time. At the end of the year, they did test scores. The test scores went way up. The suspensions went down. The behaviors went down. The superintendent said, what the heck are you doing differently? The only difference was quiet time. Every school in Oakland is now doing five minutes a day of quiet time because it not only changes behavior, it changes empathy, but it also helps kids focus. And so they can think better 
and that goes up. See, if there's a win-win. You don't do this stuff for just one little, okay, this is cool. My kid's going to be less stressed. No, it's what opens up empathy, gets them to think better, get along with one another. It's all wonderful in terms of why empathy matters. Yeah. Do you ever think that we could have such a different world if everyone was taught these skills and how to manage their their wonderful emotions and their anger? It would be amazing. And it's such a simple thing, such a simple thing. I know it makes a different world in schools because I have seen that when you do empathy building in a school and the activities and the nine habits in it, it's unbelievable because it creates what you, what every child is longing for, a safe, inclusive kind of a place where I can go, kids are going to appreciate and like me because every kid wants to feel safe, belong, and accepted. And that's what empathy does. I also was in Tibet, and I've never seen anything more brilliant in my life. When I'm sitting there watching an entire country, the older population anyway, who's been practicing this over and over again, and they do compassion meditation. And there's such peace there. So it's one of the reasons why we have got to rethink what we're doing because we're getting stressed out. It is impacting how we're raising our children. We are now looking at a huge, just from March, the most horrific rise in depression and suicidal behavior patterns in our children. And what are we going to do? We got to push pause and go, it isn't just about grades, folks. It's about how we're raising our kids from the inside out. And that is what has been kind of obliterated. I think we, we're not raising a whole kid anymore. It's all about what you get as opposed to what kind of thing did you try. And it's not that you're stopping to help your stop about, I don't want my child to be successful anymore. No, you want your child to be smart, but you also want your kid to be kind. You put those two together and you've got a kid who's going to be far better, more successful in school as well as life. I, I really strongly agree with that. I feel like it has a lot to do. Like our society is so focused right now on the end result that we forget about the path to teach mm-hmm. to get to that end result. We all we just want kind kids. Yeah, it's like, it's like you can't you compassionate. Can't, you can't bake a cake by putting all the ingredients on the counter mm-hmm. and expecting it just to appear. You have to be able to put them together to get to that. Us as parents and. We tend to think like, if I get them in the right school, if I get them in the right sports activity, mm-hmm. whatever, they're going to be successful. No, that's not we the have case. To, no, we have to continue to teach them. I did a keynote with 2,500 mental health counselors from Ivy League schools. And it was the most depressing keynote I've ever done because I asked them, what are you seeing in the kids that are coming in? Now, this was prior to COVID. This was like last year. And they said, something has really changed in the kids. They're extremely smart, but they're empty empty. Now that's hurtful. Now you look at Richard Cadison. Richard Cadison wrote a book. He's the director of medical health for kids and director of Harvard. The number one time when our children are most likely to drop out of school and a freshman year, first semester of college, they don't feel like they belong. The scariest thing prior to COVID is the number one trend that they also wanted in college was no roommates because they didn't know how to get along with another kid. How distressing is that? when mental health needs are your relationships. So that's the other reason why empathy matters. It's not soft and fluffy. It's really going to help your kid thrive and get there in life. Plus, it makes a deeper thinker. That's why teachers love it. This kid's thinking deeper. It's gritty. It is. It's gritty. We have so enjoyed getting to chat with you. And I really think that Unselfie should be on every parent's reading list because the stuff in there, it's so important. Uh, So thank you. Thank you for spending time with us today. 
You are so welcome. Take care. It has been a joy. Loved every moment. That conversation with Dr. Michelle Borba is probably going to be one of my favorites that we've had on the podcast so far. Oh my goodness, yes. Like at so many moments, I was like, yes, of course. And my big aha moment, honestly, in that interview, besides the fact of like, we need to be friends. We yes. need to hang. She, oh my we need to bring her on our girl squad oh, and yes. like hang out. We, yeah. we're, <laughs> we're going to Big Bear, man. It's like we're, we're going. We're making the Avengers force. <laughs> Instead of the Avengers, we're like, it's No Guilt Mom Girl Squad. Yes. It's Dr. Oh. Michelle Borba. She gets invited. Yes, exactly. Yes. So many wonderful people. But again, like one thing that she had said that just was so eye-opening for me and I just feel like how did I miss this is that again everybody knows I've said before my background is in early childhood I focus on those zero to five-year-olds that's what I've done with my post-school life Mm -hmm. has been that and there were so many skills and techniques that she's talking about that I used with my kids up until about first grade and then I remember kind of weaning off Mm. because I'm like okay I've shown them how to do it they're birds they can fly yeah and then I've never revisited it and now we're at 12 and 13 and quite honestly I'm sitting here going why are my kids struggling with some things and it's like of course sustainability I need to revisit these skills again because I just we started them we did them we practice them all the time and then we don't practice them anymore I think that's common, though, because as parents, we're like really primed for those zero to five year old years. And we're told multiple times like, oh, here's what you need to do. And you need to teach emotions to them. Mm -hmm. And you need to do this with them. And there's all of that like social emotional learning put into preschool. But then they hit elementary school. and All of a sudden it becomes what age are they reading by? How can they do math? What are they like doing after school? And the focus shifts. Whereas we would be better serving our kids if we continued that empathy learning and social emotional training and teaching them how to calm down versus having this really high emphasis on academic achievement. I think you're 100% right. I think that that's a a really big point. Like once they get into school, Mm -hmm. kindergarten, we're still helping them out quite a bit. But once they hit first or second, we kind of as parents, I feel like in society, we're kind of geared towards the whole, okay, now you let the teacher and the school take the lead. Mm -hmm. And your job is to help support that aspect. So like you just said, then all of a sudden we shift from that focus as parents on these social skills and things that happen at home and we focus more on how we can support them with school. And right now, I mean, personal opinion time, the schools are focusing on academic achievement because they have to keep their money funding and their Mm -hmm. funding is by and large determined by test scores. It's really hard for schools to make the right decision right now in terms of social emotional learning. Many teachers in the classroom are continuing with teaching kids how to calm down and how their brain works. But that's a rarity because teachers are not trained to do that. Well, they also only have so much time and so many resources with so many kids in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Right. So there is a lot that needs to happen. But hopefully you picked up some things that you can use right away and let us know what you're doing. Always like we're always available. Hello at noguiltmom.com. Email us. And if you have not yet... uh, subscribe to the No Guilt Mom podcast, hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. We love reading the reviews right now. And Bree's like going through her phone right now because we really do want to read a review on air. Okay. All right. So this one is all moms need to hear this. I'm loving this podcast. I have a nine and four year old daughter. It's so reassuring to hear that other moms have the same struggles as me. Thanks for being real and for all the advice and practical tips and for the reminder to take 
care of me. If you're a mom, you don't need to do it all, but take some time for yourself because you definitely need to listen to this. Thank you. That one's from Ruth Hutchins. So shout out to Ruth Hutchins. Thank you so much for leaving us a review. Such a big virtual hug. I love Such a big hugs. virtual hug. So remember the best mom is a happy mom. Take care of you and we will see you next time. Thanks for stopping by. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.